You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Please find a Bible. Please find a Bible and turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. And we're looking today at the, the, the power, the power of biblical friendship. That's our sermon title. This is our theme for our time together right now, the power of biblical friendship. And I'm excited to do this for the lives of David and Jonathan and to use their lives really as a launching pad through biblical themes of what it means to truly uh, be a friend uh, within our lives and this life that we have to live. Well, it's been said that um, if you can count your true friends on the fingers of your one hand, uh, then you are truly blessed. If you can count your true friends on the fingers of your one hand, you are truly blessed. It's also been said that intimate friends are very rare. And this is what we're examining today through God's Word. We're not talking about you know, just casual friends and so many of us can have so many dozens or hundreds of acquaintances. We're talking about intimate, uh, rare, true, authentic, real friends. And we're going to find that uh, those are few in life. So it's been said that intimate friends are very rare. Often we have one Occasionally we have two, and usually not more than three, listen, in our entire lives. Like real friends, like friends that love us to the core, friends who know us to the core, friends that we are honest, truthfully, and, and, and brutally honest with, and, and experience a true friendship with them as the Bible describes. Again, often one, occasionally two, but usually not more than three in our, in our entire lives. As we examine David's life, remember how difficult David's life was at this time. It's fascinating to me that the Lord knew David needed a friend. The Lord knew David could not do this humanly alone. So what Jonathan is, Jonathan is a gift to David's life. As David goes through the valleys and experiences the trials, under God's design, David would not do this alone. So we, we look at God's sovereignty over David's life. We're like, man, what a gift. Uh, what a gift of grace. What a thing of beauty that God would provide for David such a friend as Jonathan. And what this is doing right now, it's giving us our basis and foundation for biblical friendship and its power within our lives. So God has designed us to be in community. That's the church, the fellowship of believers. But within the community, God has designed us for true and biblical friendship. So one of the questions I want you to think about right now, you came in here today and I want you to think about, what does friendship mean to you? If I gave you a piece of paper right now and you wrote this down, I mean, what, what would you say a friendship is? Here's another question. What does friendship look like to you? Now, in our world, we're in danger every single day. We'll get to this a little bit throughout this message. Our world often defines friendship so shallow. It's so superficial. What we are asking for today through God's word is not superficial. It's supernatural, okay? The only way this is accomplished is if God does it through us and God does it in us. So one of the targets of today's message is we want to understand in more detail the power of biblical friendship. 
Now, this is very important, too, as we go forward, okay? As you're listening to this message and we start unpacking what it means to be a biblical friend, your temptation of mind is going to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. How do I find that friend? Uh, where do I get that kind of friend, okay? So <clears throat> that's not a bad thing. But before we do that, and throughout today's message, instead of like, how do I find that friend? I want you to have this thought in your mind. How do I be that friend, Okay, so instead of right now looking for the, hey, I want to find that friend, give me that friend, let your first instinct be, what has to change in me for me to be this kind of friend? And what you're going to find, you be this friend, you find that friend. Isn't that something how that works? And so often that is so the case with the Lord. You be, you let God work in you, <coughs> excuse me, and then God often draws those people, the very thing you want, become less first, and see the blessing and the exaltation come upon you. Another way of saying this, instead of uh, carrying today's message of uh, what have you done for me lately, which we often do in life, really often, instead you ask the question or say the phrase, who have I been for others lately? Okay, And now we see the power and the beauty of biblical friendship. So we're going to learn today. Let's get started. First Samuel Chapter 23, I want to read verses um, 15 to 18. It says this, okay? Now David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. 1 Samuel 23, verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Jonathan said to David, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. Interesting. Verse 18. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Okay, so I wonder, how much could you find in those verses right there as it pertains to biblical friendship? Um, you could probably find a lot. We're going to find a lot together in these few verses. In fact, we're going to draw out from these specifically three verses, 16 to 18, six characteristics of powerful, beautiful, biblical friendship. Six characteristics from these verses right here that we want to see in our lives. We're taking, again, Jonathan and David, and we're using it as a launching pad, as a launching pad to biblical themes uh, throughout God's Word affecting our lives. Characteristic number one of biblical friendship, we find this. Number one, it's a friendship of support. A friendship of support. So look at verse 16 again. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Every word in verse 16 means something to me. And I want every word to mean something to you as well. Jonathan, the crown prince. Okay? Now, just in case we didn't know this, he's labeled here himself and, or as, described as Saul's son. Now, if you've been reading any part of 1 Samuel right now, you don't need to be told that Jonathan is the son of Saul. But the Holy Spirit apparently wants us to know this. He wrote this book, and I think what's happening, God, the Holy Spirit, is reiterating to us the intensity of what David was going through and the intensity of this friendship built in love of Jonathan towards uh, David. There's an intense love. He's Saul's son. Right? I mean, Saul's son, it helps us the magnitude of what's happening, but his love for David. So verse 16, notice, he rose 
and went to David at Horish. So David's at Horish. Verse 15 gives us more detail. Look at verse 15. It says that David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. So the wilderness of Ziph was a destitute area that was adjacent to the Dead Sea. Now I've been around that area. It is rough. It is dry. It is desolate. And yes, it is destitute. David is again in the spiritual place, in the same place he finds himself in the physical place. He's in a physical place that is dry, weary, and he's tired. Spiritually, it's the same thing. He is dry, weary, and exhausted. Notice verse 14 of 23 now. More context for us. Look at the text. It says there, And Saul sought David every day. Now, is that exhausting? Um, I think it's exhausting. Now, what was Saul trying to do? Come up to him, give him a handshake? No, no, he's trying to kill him, okay? Saul is seeking to kill David every day. Okay, tell me, just again, how tired are you? How stressed are you? How weary are you? This is what's happening to David. But notice the very next phrase, but God did not give him into his hand, okay? Uh, side note, Application right here, just not exactly with the message of friendship, but I couldn't resist, okay? David is running for his life, trying to escape being killed. Yet this is all under the sovereignty of God. But God did not give David into his hand. So just notice this, just a little bit extra for us in the message right now. God allowed David to run for his life, yet God was sovereign over it all. Are you in some immense trial right now? Are you running for your life, so to speak? It's just, it's just an insight to sit and say, God will allow us to run for our lives at times, and yet he's in control of everything. Isn't that interesting? Just a little thing I needed to show you on the side, all right? Now back to the main course, I pray, right now. And so what's so interesting about this, too, this is where the Lord so often used the power of friendship. This is when friendship, God designs for our lives, we are at our weakest, when we are running for our lives, when we are desiring so much to be encouraged, God will often at this time bring true friendship. Now, before we dive into the details of David and Jonathan's friendship, I want to provide for us a biblical theology of friendship, okay? So I want to unpack some things for you right here that maybe you haven't thought about before. I was so encouraged by this this week myself, and I want us just to think about, I love biblical theology, tracing themes through the Bible, and often historically tracing themes through the Bible, but this is on friendship. Notice this first of all, okay? The Trinity is an example of perfect community. So when we think about God's heart for friendship within our lives, okay? The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existing in perfect unity, in community, and yet with diversity as well. The Trinity really is a perfect example of perfect friendship. This is the heart of God himself, a perfect strength of friendship. Think about this. When God sent Christ to the earth, God did that because he loved the world. The Father and the Son have a perfect love. Ultimately, in some ways, it's so beautiful. God sends his Son, the Father sends the Son to die for us, that we might also share in the same kind of friendship and love that the Trinity shares together perfectly. Are you picking up what I'm putting down right now, right? So the Trinity could have kept it all to themselves, all to themselves. 
They could have had all this, but God loves us so much, he sends his son to die that we can be restored to fellowship with God, that we might know the friendship of God and friendship with one another as well in relationship, partially known now, perfectly to be revealed through eternity when Jesus Christ returns. I just want you to see that the foundation for friendship is the Trinity is an example of perfect community. Number two, Adam experienced, Adam and Eve, Adam, experienced a perfect quiet time 24 hours a day before the fall, okay? He was in communion with God, yet he still needed friends. So just think about that, okay? It's just good biblical theology right now. Adam in the garden, walking around in conversation with God, but then God said, it's not good for you to be alone. Under the design of God, we were designed for community and specifically intimacy in friendship. And that's why Eve came along and then the design for God to put a man and a woman, but then also in marriage, also in family, also in church, also in community. So Adam, perfect quiet times every day, still needed friends. Who says? God says. Thirdly, check this out. Jesus was Fully God, fully man. He was perfectly human, which is why he still needed friends. Because he was human as well. And of course, we just learned because he was God as well. He loves community and the power that comes from that and friendship. But just this is why Jesus spent so much time with the 12 and then the, the 11. Jesus was perfectly human, which is why he needed friends. Just a little bit of theology for us right here. I want you to see this undergirding what we're about to talk about now in David and Jonathan's life. So back to our text, verse 16. Notice this, Jonathan rose and went. What does a friend who supports do? A friend who supports biblically, they will rise and they will go. They will initiate love. They will act out in love. Notice that Jonathan is meeting David in his greatest trial. Notice this too. Where's Jonathan? Jonathan's in the palace. Jonathan is willing to go from the palace to the wilderness, to the destitute area, because he's a true biblical friend. He is loved by God. He wants to be used to love from God as well, and he seeks to love David. Notice, true friendship acts in this way. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. There's Jonathan right here, man. He loves at all times, and especially within adversity he is born for. Now just imagine David. David's in the wilderness of Ziph. He is running for his life. He is constantly stressed out. There's such a connection between him and Jonathan. Imagine David's face as he sets eyes upon Jonathan. Imagine how his heart lifted in that moment as he saw someone coming who he knew he could trust, who would encourage him with grace and truth, but would love him and support him where he is. I can only imagine how this made him feel. And we know what this, I pray we know on some level what this feels like too, to have friends like this in our lives when we're in the valley, when we're in the wilderness, when we're in the place of Ziph. And the Lord blesses us with such a friend. So let me ask us as we start considering how this affects us and applies to our lives. The first question I want to ask as we look at the friendship of support, um, are we that kind of friend? As you examine your heart and life right now, are, are we that kind of friend? I want to point out to you, okay, you can't be this friend to everyone. You can't be this type of friend for like 100 people, okay? But you can be this friend for a few, right? 
it's amazing to me. Sometimes I, I get the expectation within this church. I'm, I'm, I'm the senior pastor here. I, our church has thousands of people here. And sometimes I get the expectation of certain people that I'm going to be the one to be where you need me to be every single time you need me to be there. I'm just like, are you kidding? That's, who can possibly bear under that weight? I mean, who could? That's just not, that, that's just impossible. That's not the church. That's not the body of Christ, you know? And so, again, if you're sitting here right now and you have the expectations upon me to be, uh, I will let you down every single time. Like, we need to get the body functioning here where it needs to be. And there's people in my life, and I have people that I, but then we, together, the body of Christ, working, working, and breaking it down into small groups of people who minister and know each other. And, and that's where the beauty is seen. That's where the power of friendship is really known, and so we won't be this way for dozens of people, but we can be this way for a few people. Here's a question. Friendship of support. Who is the Lord leading you to rise up and go beside this week? Who in your life, if you showed up, their countenance would be lifted and their heart would be blessed as you were sent there by the Lord to encourage them? I always find sometimes my most simple prayers can be the most powerful and some of those prayers start out like this, Lord, today, can this day be not about me? Can this day not be about me? Please, Lord. And can this be a day whereby the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, can this be a day where the fruit of the Spirit is seen from my life to bless others? Because this is what friendship does. A friendship of support. Let's move on to number two. A friendship now of strength, we see. A friendship of strength. So notice what happens when, so Jonathan initiates his friendship. He initiates love within his friendship. But when he gets there, look at verse 16. He does this, it says, and he strengthened David's hand in God. Okay? Notice that. He strengthened David's hand in God. Now this is what separates worldly friendship from godly friendship. The world can't provide um, strengthening in the Lord. Only Christ, only the power of the Holy Spirit can provide a relationship that strengthens one another in God. So we're learning here. All true friendship centers in on Christ. Friendship, true friendship, powerful, supernatural friendship cannot occur apart from the working of the Holy Spirit. I remember vividly when I first got saved. And all those years of super, you didn't know it, but you were living in superficial relationships. And it was really like just, you know, you give to me, I give to you, but then I do it because I want what I want. And what's kind of, you know, you're just kind of talking about things that don't, you get saved in Jesus. I was blown away at the instant depth that was brought to my life. You know what amazed me even, first of all, um, as, a, as a child, as a son, when I got saved, and the way I all of a sudden viewed my parents, they weren't no longer like annoying. <laughs> but it was like, there's a level of friend, like there's honor, but there's a level of friendship that was, it was, it just got deep, it never, of course you can't have that apart from Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes in and the whole thing has changed. And all of a sudden, there's this love that goes to new levels and new capacities because of God's Spirit. And then you start to meet people and you're talking to them about things that actually matter, okay? And you're talking about eternal things and you care about people's souls and destinies in the Lord. And you're just like, you didn't, you had, I had no idea this was even possible, because you weren't saved. But when you're saved, 
you enter into these satisfying, powerful, beautiful, deep levels of communication that the world will not understand apart from Jesus Christ. And this is a friendship now of strength fueled by the grace of God. Jonathan could only do this because he was this in the Lord, and he could only strengthen David and God because of what he received from God as well. So, so love friends, think, 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 think. Your closest friends, your closest friends you have, do they draw you closer to Christ? Are they neutral, or do they pull you farther away from Christ? This is this has devastated so many believers. Your closest friends, do they strengthen your walk with the Lord? Or how about this? Better yet, are you a friend that strengthens others and their walk with the Lord? Are you used to encourage? See, to understand the Bible, you understand friendship. It's so deep. It's so powerful. It's rooted in the gospel. It's strengthened by the Lord. I want you to see this. Just a a cursory reading of Paul's epistles you start to see the theme of friendship everywhere, his love for the church, but specifically with a few individuals. I want to just focus on Titus, just mainly in 2 Corinthians, and then one verse from the epistle of Titus too. Notice what Paul says here. Just look for the theme of how deep this relationship is and how it blesses them. My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. Notice the connection between Titus and rest. Like Paul so longs to see his brother Brother in the Lord, it, it, it affects his emotion. Next verse, notice this. Just a beautiful biblical friendship. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. So now Titus is associated with comfort and bringing up discouragement. I mean, Paul loved this stuff, walking in the ways of the Lord. Here's the next verse right here. Check this. And beside our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So in a Titus and joy, but they refresh Titus, and Titus now refreshes Paul and those that he is with. Biblical friendship is so powerful. Here's more. Just the same epistle, 2 Corinthians. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. There's a deep love here, an earnest fervent love as it's supposed to be. This is what God wants to see from us. This one right here. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your... Titus is now a partner, a partner in the gospel, a fellow worker, uh, brothers, friends, united powerfully for the cause of Christ. Here's the last verse. To Titus, my true child. Don't you love sometimes, like we read God's word and we get, but this is just, just taking one little section from one little part of God's scripture, and look at what Paul has referred to Titus as. Brother, fellow worker, companion, now my true child. See how deep the gospel is? This is what the gospel produces, man. Titus is the true child because of why? Faith. This is what a friendship of support, a friendship of strength looks like biblically. This is what God wants to do in us. Question, question, do we have that in our lives? Do we have that? What a thing to pray for if we see it lacking. And Jonathan here for David. Jonathan does what? Jonathan strengthens David's hand in God. Jonathan comes alongside him and points him to the Lord. Okay, But understand this. Jonathan cannot give out what he does not have within him. It takes someone who is filled with God to share God with with others. Make sure you under, I cannot give what I do not have. I cannot teach what I do not know. I cannot lead where I do not go. 
So it's the one receiving. I love um, in the Gospel of John, uh, whoever believes in me shall receive um, faith and then out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Notice what Jesus is saying there. The intake and the outtake. You intake through faith in Christ and the outtake is out of his heart. The believer will flow uh, rivers of living water. So we, we receive from Christ and then we dispense to others. Now be very careful in our day. Word of warning, okay? In our day, um, this superficial means of friendship. Let's just take social media. Social media is so often um, an inch deep, right? And it just, it, ha- it has, it's so little. Okay, so I'm not on Facebook, okay? Woohoo! All right, all right. If you are, no problem, no problem. Nothing, I'm just like, just one last thing I have to worry about. On Facebook, I understand you, you, you friend a lot. Is that right? Is that right? I've, I've literally been on it like three times in my life, okay? So you make friends all the time, right? Let me just ask you, what, what definition of friend is Facebook working with there? I mean, honestly, I mean, you just, you, what definition of friend are you working with when, as the majority of you are on Facebook right now? I guess half the world is right now, right? What, what definition of friend are you working with in your life? Now, be careful here. Are you taking that definition and applying it through your whole life? Is this somehow seeping into the way you think and how you're acting? I don't know that this is true or not. I wonder, though, if more people through their friends on Facebook, due to all the jealousy, the comparison, the analyzation, the false fronts of people's lives make it look like way better than it actually is. I wonder if more people have a feeling of depression through Facebook than actual intimacy and friendship. I I don't know the answer, but I wonder how many people sitting there scrolling through all their stuff sometimes, and at the end of the day, they feel worse, and they're actually fighting thoughts of discouragement and depression because they can't add up to who they want to be because all their friends... I'm not judging anything right now, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm posing questions. I don't know the, I don't know the answer. But I just have to wonder as I, as I contrast it with the Bible's definition of friendship, at the very least, loved ones, be very careful. You're not falling into the trap of some superficial approach to life that will bring you down, haul you out, and make you empty inside because that's the ways of the world and that's fundamentally the demonic system of Satan. Okay? It's not a sin to be on Facebook. Don't send me emails about Facebook, okay? Do not do that, okay? It's not a sin to be on Facebook. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying examine with wisdom where you are in this life and what does friendship mean to you. So when we think of receiving and dispensing, I love the picture. Uh, when I'm uh, in my morning with, with God, I'm at the fueling station. I'm at the fueling station, right? You run a race, cycle, right? You get to a fueling station you, and you get the fluids in and you, and you get some nutrients and you get energy to go out then and, then and then be a blessing or be fruitful and a fueling station in Christ. God, I receive from you and then I go out in my day and I want to bless others. It's a wonderful picture. Receive from him and then go throughout your day. I literally pray this a lot and then say, can I be a blessing to many uh, other people? So the last couple of years, um, I've picked up uh, cycling as a bit of um, hobby exercise. I'm not very good at it. I don't go very fast. I'm just, but I tried to run for a while. That didn't work out. My knee got hurt. And I mean, cycling, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's good. Season's back in. I'm excited about that. Weather's getting a little warmer. Praise the Lord. Amen, Canada. Praise the Lord. We're thankful for that. But part of getting into cycling, I started watching a few races now on TV. 
and the race, the, rest of the one race I actually watched is Tour de France. Ever heard of that? Tour de France. In past years, I was like, that's the boringest thing in the history of the world. But once you start doing it a little bit, you start understanding why they're doing what they're doing, and it's actually quite fascinating. So you start watching this race, and you learn each team, six, eight, ten guys on a team, and they're all world-class amazing. But one of the things you watch is in these big races, hundreds of kilometers long, there's the best racers, but then there's like the bottom of the pack of their team, and these guys are essentially our glorified water boys. And they, and they get, they're incredible racers, but they get all this water and they stack on their backs or in a bag and they go back to the back of the race where the cars are. They get all the water bottles, they put them on and they ride as fast as they can. I'm like running there, right? They cycle as fast as they can and they get to the front of the pack. They give the leaders the water and then often they'll trail back again to the back and refuel and then try the cycle again. And I'm looking at that, I'm just like, man, I kind of want that to be me. Like I want to be a glorified water boy for the glory of God, right? For the glory of God. And just like, I received, but then you go throughout your life and you're just like, hey, do you need some? Can I give you some refreshment? Do you need, and even right now, loved ones, like just see what God's entrusted me with in this ministry and opening up God's word. I just, I just would love it if in some form God would uh, use me in some simple way, but just to dispense grace and to fuel you through his grace that we might be encouraged as, as friends to go on in this life and be used for the Lord, and you have the same opportunity in your life, and you say, God, would you fuel me that I might see rivers of living water flow from my life? And this was Jonathan. Jonathan, he went to David, and then he strengthened David. So again, before you start thinking, okay, who's this in my life? Who can be that for me? No, no, no. Let's remember, who can I be that for? How can I change and be a true friend, biblically, for those in my life? A friendship of support, a friendship of strength. Thirdly, this, um, a friendship of faith, of faith. So look at verse 17 now. And Jonathan said to David, okay, here's the faith. Ready? Do not fear. Jonathan breathes, breathes life into Saul, uh, into Saul, into David. Forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned, all right? Uh, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, uh, shall not find you, okay? How wonderful is it when our faith is shaking and teetering in the wind and we're on the brink of falling apart, that God sends a friend to come in and speak a word of faith into our lives. Uh, Proverbs 12, verse 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Listen, listen, ready? I love this, but a good word makes him glad. That's why often I'm talking to someone, I'll be like, that's a good word. And often what I mean by that is that I needed to hear that. That's a, thank you for speaking that truth into my life. And then Jonathan goes to David and says, do not fear. For Saul, my father, he will not find you. And, and how did Jonathan know this? Or was he, but he was, he was speaking out of faith. He was speaking faith. And notice the faith in Jonathan 2 in verse 17 where he says also, he says, look at verse 17. He says, and you shall be king over Israel. Now he's speaking truth there. Now he would not see the day where David became king. He would actually die before that happened. But he speaks this truth by faith. Notice this to loved ones. Remember, Jonathan is the heir of the throne. Jonathan is the crown prince. And he says to David, he says, but you will be king one day and I shall be by your side. Unbelievable. That's such faith. He is, he is, he is looking over now. He is passing over the, the spears of Saul and he is remembering the anointing oil of Samuel. What is that? That is faith. That is friendship and how we are so, we are so blessed 
as friends come up to us and we are blessed as we go up to friends as well. And when they need a word of encouragement in truth, I want to say this too, okay? Friendship and love. Love is grace and love is truth. It's both. So when you're looking for your friends, if you're looking for friends who just always tell you what you want to hear, they're not really true friends, okay? True biblical friends tell you truth and they give you grace. Love is grace, love is truth. Look at this verse here from Proverbs chapter 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What we're tempted to do, um, surround ourselves with people who coddle us. That's not going to help us at the end of the day. If you have someone in your life who is able in love with humility to tell you the truth, that is a true friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But this is a friendship built on faith. It's a friendship built on faith and ultimately rooted in Christ, in the Trinity, rooted in the faith of Jesus Christ. This was Jonathan. He was a friend of support. He was a friend of strength. He was a friend of faith. Number four, he was a friend of sacrifice. A friend of sacrifice. Look again at verse 17. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. So here's the incredible humility and sacrifice of Jonathan. Jonathan should be on the throne next, humanly speaking. But Jonathan, he sees the hand of God. He steps aside joyfully for the will of God. And I love how he says, and I shall be next to you. That's amazing, isn't it? That's beautiful. This is the humility and sacrifice of loving second place. Another question for us right now. Do you, do we love second place? Our flesh doesn't. But the spirit of God within us does a lot do we love second place? You know, um, our youth ministry many years ago, and part of a theme of our church that we had that year, I want to put up, they had this image here that they used to build upon this theme, and it was in the form of a license plate. You see that? It was in 0506. That's over 10, 10 years ago. Isn't that amazing? But this is what you before me. I love that. And uh, Harvest Youth built in John 3.30. Um, I must decrease. Christ must increase. John the Baptist you before me, and, and isn't that a great, I mean, not just for our youth here today, but this is the principle of friendship. This is what we're talking about, and that this would be our license play. I mean, that, that's brilliant. I've always liked that, and I remember that this week, and we did that so many years ago, but God, help us to be in this place. Help us to believe in the power that as we become less, we actually find more of the Lord within our lives. Jonathan, remember, was under tremendous pressure. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but a couple chapters earlier, when Jonathan went to find out how mad his father was, his son, Saul, lambased Jonathan by um, 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 accusing him of awful things and, and offending his mother and the woman he was born, the shame of her nakedness. And then in that, uh, Jonathan defends David, and then Saul throws a spear at his own son. And Saul says, don't you understand? As long as David is alive, you won't have the kingdom. You won't have the kingdom. And you won't be on the throne. But then Jonathan's like, but David's done nothing wrong. So, so Jonathan was under immense pressure to conform to the wishes of his father, whom he wanted to honor in some level. I just want us to see here the power of this friendship. Jonathan chose to become less and believing that in that process, he was honoring the Lord 
And he was loving David as well. It's no surprise that one of the greatest lessons Jesus taught to his friends was to get down with a towel and a basin and to wash their feet. No surprise, isn't it? That Jesus was teaching us right there that greatness, true greatness, is lowliness. Now, loved ones, one of the temptations right here, okay, the temptations, you come into a church like this or whatever, this happens to a lot of people. They come in here and they sit on the sidelines at the back against the wall on a chair in the foyer and they just wait and like, who's gonna love me? Who's gonna love me? I'm gonna wait here till someone comes up to me and loves me. No one talks to me. No one loves me. No one says, no one's that. Okay, what's wrong with that picture, okay? And I have no problem saying this right now, okay? Okay, the problem with that picture is it's not Jesus. Jesus did not wait to be loved. Jesus did not wait till someone came up to him. Jesus didn't wait until the disciples washed his feet. Jesus didn't wait, and Jesus took the initiative everywhere he went. If you really want to be like Jesus, be the one who initiates the love, acts out in love, be the friend you desire to have, and wouldn't it be something as you choose to be that friend, you'll probably find that friend. Love is very attractive. People love love. You love in that way, but again, if one of the people sit back and I feel sorry for myself, so pity, I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's Christ-like. And again, I don't have any issues challenging you with that right now. Initiate love. Humble yourself. You before me. I must increase. Christ loves me. Who can I love? And I bet you good things begin to happen. So often in our foolishness, we do something and we hurting ourselves in the process. No one loves me. No one loves me. No one loves me. And well, who wants to? The grumpy person there just all that's not very attractive. But the person giving themselves in that way. That's very attractive. It's also mentioned very biblical. This is what a friendship of sacrifice does. It's not about me. But the person who's making it about them, it's not long before they are tainted with jealousy, ruined with envy, diseased with self-interest, and contaminated with pride. Because really, at the end of the day, I want this, I want that, you're not there. It's really about you. That's why any strong marriage must have at its foundation self-sacrifice. Ephesians 5, it's, it's, it's the key passage for marriage in the New Testament. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, how did Christ love you? By giving himself up for her. Wives, submit yourselves uh, to your husbands as is fitting for the Lord. See, when you see the power of what Christ has done, you lower yourself out of love for the other person. That's a marriage that works. You show me a marriage where they're trying to outdo one another showing honor and serving each other. You show me a marriage that's fired up with love. Not perfect, but it is working. You show me a friendship in the same way. Friendship is built on self-sacrifice. You give of self, not because you want to receive back, because you love. But in, 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 inherently, God, God brings that return to us because he's so kind and he's so good and he's so... See, listen, I, I read this quote this week. It's very powerful. I want you to see this. I want you to think about this. Jonathan Holmes, okay? Watch out as, I, I want friends. I want friends. I want, okay, why the why? Be careful. Be careful, okay? Here's what he says. In the pursuit of the friendship with others, we can neglect our primary calling to pursue Christ. See, when it's about us, then it's not about Christ. But see, Trinitarian, foundational, Christ-centered, gospel-filled friendship is ultimately about Christ. Christ in us and then through us. But the friendship we so ardently search for becomes our functional Savior. 
Watch out, watch out, right? See, if our pursuit and our friendship is not about Christ, it's about us. It's a horizontal thing. And if, if, if we're seeking in someone else being our functional savior, that's self-serving. That's just self-motivated. That's, that won't work. I think this is deep stuff, and I hope you're getting it. If we are serving, seeking friendship as a distraction from our boring life, as an escape from our loneliness, and a source as comfort in difficult times only, that's idolatry. Because what is it? You be my friend to fix my problems, serve my needs, and, and, and achieve for me happiness. That'll never work out. That's why you have individuals. No one can ever meet their expectations. People are always letting them down. Because ultimately, it's rooted in them. It's not rooted in Christ. That's a tough, that's a tough piece of truth to hear. But I get to say it right now, and I don't know who it's for, but God does. Do we have enough wisdom to receive if we're in that place that friendship is really about meeting our expectations and our needs and we form functional saviors in our life as opposed to the savior? See, the friendship has to be one of sacrifice, a friendship of support, of strength, of faith, of sacrifice. And then let's get to number five, this, a friendship of loyalty a friendship of loyalty. So look at verse 18 now. Verse 18, it says this, and the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. So they make a covenant, okay? A covenant is what we think it is in in English, a treaty, an alliance. It's a resolve. This is a friendship that's gonna last to the end. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, okay? What I want us to understand is the conflict that Jonathan found himself in as we see his loyalty to David. Jonathan loved his father Saul. He did. Saul started off okay. Started off pretty good actually. But then he plummeted down. Jonathan wanted to be loyal to Saul. He proves this as he dies with Saul in battle. He he ends his life because he's loyal to his dad. Even though his dad, and he knew his dad was a total Fool. But then he's loyal to David. His heart just, okay, put yourself in Jonathan's shoes. His heart is so conflicted. But because he loves God and loves God the most, he also loves David. And Saul's doing everything he can to take the love from Jonathan away from David. But Jonathan just won't do it because he loves the Lord. Hey, a little insight right here too. Do you see how dangerous nepotism can be? Nepotism is the favoritism towards a family. And if anyone was tempted towards nepotism, some of us are here right now, our, um, our parents, our siblings, our children, it's like, doesn't matter. We will easily sin for the sake of siding with our family. Easily sin. It blinds us. That's foolishness. Jonathan was so tempted with nepotism, but Jonathan, um, he passed that test and he loved God more so that he knew where God was really at work and God was really at work within David, even if it meant that he would suffer alongside uh, his father. It's quite something. So this is when, um, in 2 Samuel 1, when Saul and Jonathan die in battle, David shows up and he says, oh, that famous verse, oh, how the mighty have fallen. It's right there. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. And then he says, and he speaks of Jonathan, and Jonathan, which had a love that surpassed women. Okay? What is that? It's a beautiful, pure, biblical description of a friendship between men rooted in the Lord that was just so powerful. It was a love so powerful. David says it, it surpassed the love of women. But notice the loyalty of Jonathan's love. 
You know a modern day example of this kind of love? And it's fictional, but one that most of you will be aware of. It's in Lord of the Rings. And it's the friendship between Frodo and Sam. And if you've seen those movies unfold, you see the friendship of the hobbits and what's there and just even their willingness to suffer with Frodo as he carries. I mean, you know, Tolkien who wrote this and was a, a man who feared the Lord and all the different, I mean, who knows if he was thinking about David and John? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. But as, as Frodo seeks to carry this weight and Sam's like, you're not going to do it alone. He's like, I can't carry it for you, but I'm going to be with you to support you and all the way along. And even when, when Frodo's mistreating Sam and as Sam's seen as a traitor, all that kind of stuff. And Sam and his resolve to support and the loyalty. The scene I love so much at the end, and I think because there's so much Bible in us, we appreciate these powerful moments when uh, Frodo wakes up at the end, he's lying in the bed, and then one by one the people come in to, to see him. And everyone comes in, I believe, until the end, and Sam. And Sam walks in the room. And they did a really good job there. And without saying a word, you can see in the faces of Frodo and Sam the connection of the friendship that was so deep and so powerful. As much as the other friends were there in the room and they were so great, there was something so different and so special with the loyalty that was demonstrated on behalf, especially of Sam, towards Frodo. And anyone with any kind of spiritual pulse at all will look at that and just understand this is what only the Lord can truly produce within our lives. It's a, it's a level of loyalty that is rooted in the gospel. And so as we seek to uh, draw to a close of this message on friendship, what I want you to understand is I seek to be a friend of support, of strength, of faith, of sacrifice, of loyalty in this way, okay? The danger right now is to say, oh, that's a pretty good horizontal message. What do I mean by that? That's a, that's a good moralistic message that I'm hearing right now. And we've had lots of different parts that have been vertical, but I want to just make abundantly clear right now as we end. There's no way you and I can be this kind of friend if we're horizontal. The only way you and I will ultimately be able to be this kind of friend is if it's supernatural. And the supernatural comes from above. The supernatural comes from Jesus Christ. Loved ones, Jesus Christ is the friend above all friends. Let's just unpack Jesus Christ as our friend through our outline. Jesus is my support. Think about this. Through the gospel, through the life of Christ, initiated and acted upon us in love. Think about it. He called us. If we're saved right now, if we're saved right now, he called us. He chose us. He saved us. He intercedes for us right now. That is, that is immeasurable support that only Christ can bring. By grace, you've been saved through faith. Because of the great love with which he loved us, he has made us alive. He has now raised us with him in the heavenly places. Uh, heavenly places. Only Jesus Christ can give this kind of eternal support. He's my support. Jesus is my strength. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a friend I want then, because if I don't have him as a friend, I can't do anything. But with Christ... I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Jesus also is the one who gives us a spirit of wisdom and understanding. Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's of Jesus that it's talked about. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. It's in Jesus we are taught, train yourselves to renounce ungodliness, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Jesus is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is our strength. Jesus is our faith. It's Jesus who came out to his disciples and says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's Jesus who says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should bear fruit. It's Jesus who said this, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again to take you to myself. 
No other friend can speak with such faith. And of course, Jesus, he's my sacrifice, all right. Jesus was mocked and scorned and scourged and crucified. It was Jesus that sweat drop of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane as he pondered suffering the wrath of God for me and you. It was Jesus who suffered in such a way through his sacrifice on the cross that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was Jesus who forsook his glory with the Father and humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. It was Jesus who bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It was the wounds of Jesus by which we are healed. Jesus is our sacrifice. And Jesus is my loyalty. There's no friend like Jesus. It's Jesus who promises loved ones, listen and be blessed. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus says he promises to complete what he has started. Jesus says, I will lose none of whom the Father has given me. Jesus says, I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says, all who believe in me shall never die. Jesus says, I will ask the Father who will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus says at the end of the Great Commission, behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Who is as loyal as no one, no one, no one even close. Jesus is the friend of all friends. No wonder then Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you are my friends. Amazing. But Then he says this after that, you are my friends if you do as I command you. You see, so as we fuel ourselves in Jesus Christ, we are filled with the fuel of true, biblical, pure, awesome friendship. And this is what the Lord wants to give in us. It starts with him, and as he fills us, then we start to become Jonathans to the Davids in our lives. And I pray right now you believe as God works in you this way, as we become less, we truly find joy, and satisfaction and the blessing of giving is far better than receiving. May it be so, amen, church? May it be so. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, may you ignite in us true, pure, biblical friendship. And may it start with Jesus Christ. And right now, Lord, as we sing the song, and loved ones, I just, I just encourage you so strongly as you sing this song, Sing it loud, like, like rehearse the gospel that Jesus Christ is your friend and let it fill you with truth. And then even as you're singing, make it a prayer. God, use me. Jesus, use me. Fill me and use me because I'm yours and he is mine. Oh, oh Lord, maybe so. May we see the beauty of this throughout our lives now and always in this church and in our community. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.